Well, hello there. Today is Monday. You know what that means. I'm doing a podcast today. Um, I just walked out and got the mail and looking at a few things. We're supposed to have this uh, this here uh, nor'easter. <laughs> it hasn't hit yet, apparently. I don't know. Uh, I was talking to my sister and she said, wow, did you see all the snow and I said snow <laughs> I'm looking at green grass it came down it was ice it was uh, freezing rain and it's sort of just that was it so my big excitement of seeing a snowstorm which you know in this pandemic is a big thing <laughs> the change of scenery a little bit it, it uh, was diminished greatly so I'm here thinking about how I wanted to go hiking up on a mountain in the snow and it didn't happen. And I thought, well, there's a few things I've been reading about I wanted to address. It really touched me, touched me deeply. Um, first of all, is one of my favorite and most outspoken people, songwriters. There, there are two I hold up at the same level, my dad. And uh, it's it's strange because it's, uh, you know, you grow up listening to music and these are real people and they write songs and some of their songs are sung by other people and it becomes a part of your life. It, it becomes, a song can take you back to where you were at a certain point in time in life. And when you rationalize what that means, it... Uh, makes the person all that more important. I've, I've said this in numerous books and things, but when you speak and write a poem, where you write, where you do a piece of art, you, there is a part of you that will live on, and if it connects with other people, well, you're, uh, you're doing a lot more than you realize. I felt this in a bunch of numerous ways. A friend of mine just sent me a card in the mail. I just, uh, I'm not going to read it, but we were sharing movies back and forth. She'd said to me a uh, about a month ago that, man, this is really, really depressing. You want to send some movies back and forth? I said, yeah. So I was looking at some movies, and I uh, sent them out to her. Got her Reader's Digest. I told her, you got to have something to read. And I sent her one of my grandmother's dolls. Because my grandmother had thousands of dolls. And uh, I kept a few of them. Porcelain dolls. I don't know why. But uh, she'd got a new, gotten this new curio cabinet. And I said, well, you know, I want to send you something. So it was, it was a beautiful doll. And uh, she'll enjoy it more than obviously I would. <laughs> you know. You seem to collect these things when people die. And there's things. And then there's the memories and there's music and then there's people and when you have like I was saying these two other people one being Willie Nelson the other being Chris Christopherson those two I hold um, not as a fan okay because I uh, can relate a lot to their writing I can relate a lot to how they live their life but as a writer myself, growing up, 
it's not like I'm going to see a concert and say, oh, wow, I like this band or I like the sound of them. It's the spoken word and the poetry of their music that uh, really throughout my life has been important to me. And I wanted to talk about that because, uh, of course, Willie, Willie seems to be doing good. I uh, keep in touch with his family a bit, and uh, they're good people. Uh, his granddaughter Raylan just released this great, great uh, video. You gotta see it. It's called "Friend." Check it out. Pitch, pitch for Raylan there. But let's think about Chris. And you know, Willie, Willie was always the kind of music you listen to when you're driving. Chris's poetry and music. Uh, as a college student, I could appreciate, even back to being a little baby, when my father would sing me for the good times. I was a little baby, sitting there, and when they wanted to sing me to sleep, they'd do one of two things. Either they would take me in a car ride, or number two, my dad would sing for the good times, very out of key. And I think I was maybe two or three years old because I was walking it. I was walking at like eight months. You know, I was, I was a baby that I didn't want to be crawling. I wanted to be on my feet. I wanted to be out there. I remember listening to the lyrics of that when he'd, he'd sing it to me, my dad would. And I thought, that's really powerful. That's a really powerful song. And it's really sad too. It's a really, really, you know, it's about, uh, for the good times, it goes, you know, uh, don't look so sad. I know it's over, but uh, life goes on. And this whole world will keep on turning. Just be glad we had some time to spend together. There's no need to watch the bridges that were burning. Lay your head upon my pillow. Hold your warm and tender body close to mine. You know, that's... Uh, I just, a film is powerful. And I would always think when I was a kid of when it would rain on the windows. To me, I didn't, that's what, that's what I associated it with. I didn't know anything about love. I didn't know anything about uh, things that don't work out. But what, what the poem and song, I, I, I consider it more a poem than a song. All of Chris and Willie's works are more poetry than music. And if you look at, I think it was, uh, was Shotgun Willie. <laughs> Real catchy song. Uh, Chris made a joke about it to Willie one time. And the thing was, these people always held back in the day before they were famous, they held each other to a certain standard that they kind of gave each other advice. They listened to each other's music and you have a lot more poetry in it than you have today. Nowadays, you have a band, a bunch of people get together, a guy writes a couple songs, they throw a good beat to it, they throw a few backup guitars, they throw a bass, some drums, and that's it. You know, they want to get that one hit out. But in that day and age, a song was held on its own weight. And it, there were, that's when songwriting was a craft and was an art. And for Chris especially, it went back to probably... Uh, a lot of the poetry he'd written from a child and read and the music he'd grown up with, but, but a lot of the, the, uh, 
a real deep visual poetry of the uh, 1700s and 1800s, especially, I believe. William Blake was a big one of Chris's. So, so you, you get that depth of poetry when you're listening to his songs. And this is, for the good times, is not a love song as you're trying to win this girl over. Or, or guy, whatever. But it's... It's something I can very much relate to, even now. As a child, I could. I didn't know why. Maybe I was knowing more wiser than I thought. Maybe I'd lived a past life. I don't know. But I... Uh, You love people, you get close to them, you're in a relationship or a deep friendship, whatever it may be, okay? You really feel this person on all levels. And it speaks to that when you both have to part ways for one reason or another. I've had a few friends like that. and One, one in particular I think of, both this song and another one really relate to. And this girl I'm thinking of, I shared a lot of Chris's albums with. She was big into music. She wasn't, she was real picky about it. She'd say something like, boy, his voice sucks, or this person's, this girl's voice sucks. Or she, she was real, you know, she was, she was classically trained. But she liked it. And I don't know if she said she liked it just to humor me or not, but a lot of people listen to music, they don't listen to poetry. So a lot of Chris's stuff is very deep. And when you hear him play it, you're not going to get uh, Tony Bennett or uh, Dean Martin or Frank Sinatra. You're going to be getting a real earthy, spirited uh, person that's looking life in the eyes in a lot of ways. And that poetry reverberates all through. Johnny Cash is the same way he's singing. Johnny Cash... And Willie. Reminds me of something Willie said a while back that when he learned how to sing, he learned not to play a song the way that, like, if you're covering somebody else's song, don't cover Frank Sinatra like Frank Sinatra. Cover it in your own dynamic way, in your own way that it feels to you. And a lot of the covers that Willie has done recently are phenomenal for that reason. But Chris has his own style. For the Good Times is that kind of a song. It's a song that is about love. It's about still loving someone, but taking your friendship to that next level. You've grown. And it's not about someone being hot or not. It's not about someone you love. It's not about lust. It's about a true, deeper feeling of agape love. A love that, as uh, St. Francis of Assisi uh, felt, wrote of the love that God has you know in the Bible St. Paul says love is kind love is caring you know um, that's about God's love if you actually look in the Greek it's agape just like the word in the Greek of St. John is in the beginning was the word well the word was it was made life and flesh and the word means logos which is the ultimate ideal of what words mean, the word being God, 
in in that sense, agape is is love that has no sense of I'm going to get this for that. It's truly loving somebody because you see God in them. The uh, different religions in the Far East say Namaste, which means the part of God within me honors the part of God within you. I think for the good times works on that level. That's what I started out with as a child uh, listening to. And I got into a lot of other music. Mainly I heard Willie's music. I didn't hear a lot of Chris's music. I'd seen him in movies and things like that. It wasn't until I went up to Erie one time with Tex, my brother Mark. We're up at camp, and uh, there was a store that my dad's buddy's friend had in Erie. And it was kind of at a secondhand shop. I liked going in there. You could get Nintendo games real cheap. You could get all kinds of things cheap. A lot of it had some sketchy uh, background of where it came from. <laughs> uh, it it uh, was a place that to me was magical because I'd go there. You figured when I was a kid, I didn't have a lot of money. So I'd save up for two or three weeks to buy a Nintendo game. And I'm talking NES, okay? <laughs> and then Super Nintendo came out. And, and then I could go up there and buy 12 of them for like $10. Unbelievable. Unbelievably cheap. It, it was it was like finding gold. And he had music too. So I'd look and a lot of it was stuff I didn't listen to. Right there in the top that day was Chris Christopherson. Greatest hits. And I knew all the songs. So I went back to camp and I had my earphones on. There was a girl I liked up there. So they were all doing their own stuff. Uh, Tex had Brother Ed up there. They'd go fishing or they'd sit around with the guitars. And a lot of times I just wanted to go sit by the beach. And I'd walk down this trail over the side of this cliff and down through. And I'd put these earphones on with my portable Walkman. I could just still see it. It was a yellow one. And I heard a couple songs on that. And... I heard a lot of people cover for the good times. When I heard Chris sing it, my dad always liked the Ray Price version, but when I heard Chris sing it, there was something so much deeper to it. And then to beat the devil, and then the silver tongued devil and I. Great songs, great songs. The first time I heard him sing it, and I, you realize there's a level between someone that writes their own song and sings it and someone that uh, just covers songs. Someone just up there to make money and someone that actually loves the business. Or more importantly, writing. So I saw that the other day that Chris Christopherson's retiring and I know that with COVID going on, it's probably a wise thing. I told his family that, that I give them my warm thoughts and love. And I, I mean that Chris, Chris and Willie are like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of the same uh, 
mold my dad was cut from that they're cut from. And I really, I really love these guys. They're, they're good people. They're, they're truly good people. They say, you know, never meet your heroes. They'll disappoint you. But Willie and Chris, they, they, they just uh, make me a believer in everything that I've done as a writer and on a level that uh, they're there to help people out. Chris especially has done so much for other people. So I know when he had Lyme's disease, and I can relate because I was out last year and I had something on me and I looked down and it didn't dig in yet, but it was a little tick, a little deer tick. And I, I panicked because I was in the middle of a pandemic here and I had fallen out of a tree and broken my back and ribs a couple months before. And I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, what are you trying to do to me here? Uh, I know they say you can't throw more at a person than they can handle, but what are you doing to me? And uh, it wasn't Lyme's disease that I know so far. It, it didn't get me, but it was very, very tiny. I mean, it was like the tip of a pencil, real small. And being a woodsman all my life, it makes you wonder how many times you're out. You don't even realize it. One gets you, and you don't even know it happened. And I think that's what happened with Chris. He was filming, I believe, the movie Disappearances, which is one of my favorite movies. And they thought he had Alzheimer's or memory loss, and it wound up being uh, untreated Lyme's disease. And you've progressively seen Chris deal with it through the years. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking because his voice is so powerful. When Chris believes in something, I'm going to tell you what you see. You look right in that camera or the person, and his eyes are like fire. They're blue, but they're the most beautiful blue, but they're they're like fire. And uh, he'll say exactly why he believes in it. And when he believes in something, it stands by a cause. He, he uh, puts his whole heart into it. There's no, there's no bullshit. He's not trying to make money off someone. He's not trying to uh, just do it because it's the cool thing. Chris, a lot of times, has taken a hit for fighting for what matters. Speaking of. So the past few years, you haven't heard much. And some music and stuff. And you know he's fighting this illness. And... Uh, to see him retire, it makes me feel a whole range of emotions. You know, I, I one of his albums was released on my birthday, in fact, one year, and I felt, wow, this is the greatest birthday present ever. So, when I would, uh, I think, I think one of my favorites later in his career, his early ones are all just amazing, but. He was getting into a moment of forever. These really deep songs. And a lot of other covers Austin sessions and of his earlier work. <sighs> I saw him twice in concert a few years ago. And the last time I saw him, I didn't know it'd be the last time I'd see him perform. And the more I look back, the more I realized how amazing those two times were. 
It was right after my father had passed away. And I shot off this little note to him, but I'm like, you know, at the palace, I'm like, uh, hey, Chris, uh, you know, my dad used to sing me to sleep with your songs when I was a baby, all this stuff. And I thought, wow, that's really <laughs> the cheesiest thing. Probably gets a hundred of those things a day. And I thought, you know, but to me, to be able to see him perform, and it was just him and his guitar, it, it blew me away. I think the only other songwriter right now that has that kind of power, well, Raylan has it, but I mean the kind of power that Chris has to put into an entire album the old school way is Taylor Swift. And uh, she's what this generation needs, but for the generation I grew up, Chris was, Chris was the greatest. Amazing. Now, I've rambled on about this for 20 minutes. It's very tough to talk about seeing one of your heroes retire because they're fighting an illness that could be terminal. This this is slowly robbing them of their memories, their ability to write, their ability to, to remember things, just the same way as Alzheimer's does. And I mean, it's... it's It's awful because he has such a brilliant mind. And... Right now is a time when people need people like Chris Christopherson to remind us just who the hell we are, just why we're here. Chris, I, I doubt you'll hear this, but I love you. And I said that, so I'm pretty sure you got my message. But, uh, brother, you know, you, uh, I hope you're retiring because you want some time off to heal and everything. But I hope we get in some way, somehow, some more music from that old pilgrim. <laughs> Love, Chris. I, ho I hope someday I could touch as many lives as he has with my writing. Not that it matters to me, like for an ego reason, but to have that ability to feel that what you're saying matters and relates to other people. And when they're down, they're feeling something that uh, that song can sometimes be what it takes to get people through. I know my grandfather driving coal truck and driving truck down uh, out of Florida for potatoes and up to uh, Maine. For him, it was uh, Red Sovine and uh, Hank Williams and all those other people. A good song can can get you through a lot. So, that's topic one. <laughs> topic two here is going to be the, the true history of the alligator hunter. That's taking a real swerve right there, isn't it? <laughs> okay, they. I was out. I was out camping the other, other year, and these these girls were like camp and a couple campsites away they're like staring at me and I thought oh they've read my book they want, want, want an autograph or something or they're gonna ask me and I knew it's gonna happen and I'm thinking oh, okay <laughs> you know so I, I'm prepared for this I know it's gonna happen it, they're slowly uh inching closer you know they're they're seeing is this guy who I think he is 
normally it's not a big deal but I see them in there uh, they come over in a car come over in a car and the girl says hey aren't you and I'm expecting to say I don't have my pen right here you're the alligator hunter <laughs> and I thought about it and I about what thought wow you know I didn't realize I made those videos public it was a joke uh, but I wanted to do the background on it because if people see it, it's, it's, it's funny as hell. I did this, this video series, the alligator hunter. <laughs> and what it, what it was all about, what it was all about was my uncle Barry I had a brain aneurysm uh, 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. And he had short-term memory loss. So he went from being this guy with this long beard, used to drink whiskey and eat the shot glass and mean, mean guy to giving his life to Jesus. And we take him camping all the time with us because he lived with my grandmother and he's, Barry, you want to go with us? But he'd forget where he was at. He'd forget the short-term things. Phenomenal guy still, you know, amazing. One of my favorite people that there is as far as uncles go. But he's a little tough to be around. And everywhere he goes, by faith, he tells his story of his brain aneurysm. He had a 5% chance of living. He was in a coma. And his mother told him to get a, they told his mother to get a suit. And he's alive because of a, praying mother and a forgiving God. And it, it's a very moving story. I mean, it's very true. And I, I uh, consider it, among another thing, one of the reasons to believe. What, what do you believe in? You believe in something. You... Uh, reaffirms and affirms what your view of life is. So that's that's the that's the incredible power of of uh what uh his his testimony is of his brain aneurysm. But he would see would go with us camping and it was tough. It was really tough. A lot of people didn't take him the right way. Some people looked at him weird. And give me a minute. Okay, I adjusted this. I do this live. I'm not worried about product as much as what I'm saying. I was getting his feedback. Anyhow, um, that's his testimony is, is his surviving this brain aneurysm. So we take him camping a good bit with us or did. And it, it was tough. People would, would take what he said the wrong way. Uh, it's, it's, you know, someone who has a traumatic brain injury, they can be tough to deal with. So I always had to deal with this the best way with humor and it was always my brother, my sister with us, my buddy Gary. And 
Big thing why you're out camping, you're out hiking, or go to the beach, this particular place. And I'm there, and there's these signs up about an alligator. And, and some guy said he saw an alligator cross the road. So me being myself, <laughs> I uh, just started laughing. And I was texting my friend in Australia about it. And it, it, it became this running joke that I just, on a whim... I was cooking something on a fire, and I go, I'm the alligator hunter. I'm going to get that alligator. Imitating my friend in Australia's voice because he's one of my favorite people. And I love his accent. Like, he was here doing a documentary on trains a couple years ago, and I just, I just loved having him around. Just, just wonderful times. And I did this. So I filmed this, this, this goofy, silly video where I'm looking for this alligator, and I, I uploaded it on YouTube. And my neighbor, a couple of my neighbor kids around here really liked it. And it, it was just so so ridiculously stupid. So I, I just kept that gag running. I uh, got a couple of neighbor kids involved in the gimmick, you know, did a couple of the videos. I did one up in Erie. And it was it was just it was just silly, 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 silly. And my alligator hunter voice, when I find that alligator, I'll, <laughs> I'll bob your uncle. I'm going to eat that alligator. <laughs> Stuff like that. And I, I didn't realize it was public. So I've had all these professional videos I'm doing. And these are on the same channel. And of course, these girls are like, oh, you're the alligator hunter. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> Is this going to be my claim to fame? So I decided that I didn't mind it. I left that up. I thought, you know, that is that is pretty pretty funny it's kind of uh improv going along whenever something happens and improvising that you can throw it all into this character just ridiculously <laughs> it it worked out pretty well but but of course of course it uh needed explained a little bit i had a lot of fun with this went up to erie and i did this gimmick with the alligator hunter and every everywhere I would do this, it just it just people people played right into it. The animals around me played right into it. The boats up there played around with me. Weather everything. It was just like I, you couldn't even script it that well. And it, it's it's just hilarious. But that's what the alligator hunter was. It wasn't like um, something I wanted to be known for. But I, the reason I bring that up was because, you know, Raylan, Raylan did this uh, video. And uh, JB was saying about, uh, he filmed this back in the video, for the video they did with this guy back when he was in college. And I thought about how many things we used to do back in the day, myself, my friends, do these silly things, these videos. And uh, now you realize the, the beauty of it, the beauty of just having a camera in front of you, doing something fun. I believe JB said they had uh, one of those shoulder VCR recorders with this, this video they did. And it, it's a really great video, and that's what makes it fun. It, it's old school, and it's fun. I, I don't get that same thrill out of carrying around this newer equipment. It does better. The, the video quality is better. You feel like you're there. You can edit it 
sometimes easier. But I think that old stuff sometimes just it's it's in it's in the uh, the video uh, quality. It's in the uh, spectrum of the angle, all that. I find that with writing too. You know, I uh, know a lot of these book companies are going digital, and a lot of these. I got an email the other day from from a from a publisher that said, "Hey, do you still have the <laughs> do you still have the original uh, of that book cover that I guess they lost it that was my second book the draft of it with you know you you have the bleed through you have the original and they can they can um, adjust the cover of this of this." this um template and if you have okay let's say you have this size book you can kind of angle it this way and make, i don't know what they do with it but i'm assuming that's what and I, I didn't have it but they were saying everything's going digital and they said you know it's going to be eventually where all these books are going to are going to be going through a publisher through a template it's going to automatically format them Everything's going to look the same. And I thought, you know, that really makes me long for those days when I was doing the videos like that, and the ones like JB just released for Raylan's video, with books, too, everything. Like, you used to get a book in the old days. It was a leather-bound book. The front page was like an onion skin. It was like a um, piece of real thin paper. And sometimes in between, they'd have to manually have somebody put that and glue that in for each book signing them you know um the special this special font was made for this book like Alfred Knopf did certain fonts and when you took that book you could smell it smell the glue in it and know that someone put time into it and they stitched had a machine stitch all those pages <laughs> though they're cheaper I don't feel that in an ebook I love Love the idea of ebooks. People can just have my book on their phone or um, have it on, uh, what's that, Nook or Kindle and download it. I'm sure it's cheaper. Like uh, for me personally, I make more money on an ebook than I do on a printed version. Even though that ebook's $3 or $5 or $6, and that book's $20. The ebook doesn't have to be printed. It doesn't have all the middlemen. It's just a publisher sending the file right to the Amazon. Amazon does whatever they do and they make it available to be read. Or uh, Barnes & Noble does. But to have something in your hand you can actually read is so much better. I think the digitalized effect of music and writing it's taken a lot of that away the fun I had doing those alligator hunter videos way back and, and I just watched a few of them and it started it made me laugh just just the glitches in it made me laugh okay <laughs> where I wanted to do something and it glitched or something stupid like that it was great what's, what's killed music 
I know my friend uh, Jen Wertz, her latest album, she had a couple of really great hits. There were a lot of ones. I really liked those songs, but they were like B-sides. used to be you'd buy an album. Think of a Willie Nelson album. Let me think of one. Yesterday's Wine. The intro. Or Redheaded Stranger. Or Tougher Than Leather. Even, even Chris Christopherson, The Moment of Forever. And there was a certain sequence to them that this song related to this song, related to this song, and they told a story. You don't get that nowadays. You get people that want to download one MP3 and they like the song. And that's that's all they have. They don't have that range of what the artist is feeling at that time and the background of it. With books, it's like that too. I see a lot of stuff on Kindle. And you can see it's 20 pages long. And you know what it is. It's smut. <laughs> But I love, I love, I love the concept of putting time into something. The only person I've seen do that lately, and it was on a scale that blew my mind, is Taylor Swift. You know, she released that first album earlier this year. All these ties into poetry and love and this guy she's dating, I think, and... Um, I'm not a Swifty. The three Swifties are really into this. Like they, this is like uh, unbelievably deep. And then the second album played on that one about the story of Taylor's grandparents and the whole concept of who she is as as a, as a woman that can write like this and sing like this and put all this together. And now there's a third one coming out, I think. It just, it's great. It's great. It's a concept album. And what it, wants you, what it makes you do is it makes you, instead of saying, oh, I like this song, wow, that's a nice beat, to say, wow, I want to listen to this for the poetry in it and the, the, the power of that. The old stuff used to be that way because it took you so long to make it and to put it all together and to get this to record onto this DVD player or on a VHS and get this to splice it into this and it took you time to build that and you had to put the thought into it it wasn't like um, some of the music today I think those alligator hunter videos are probably some of the best I ever made and the silliest and the stupidest and just the most fun I've ever had so if I'm out somewhere and people want to know me as an author or as an alligator hunter, either way, I'm uh, very happy to be called either. <laughs> so I wanted to wish you all a lot of health and uh, do something, do something. Get your mind off things like my friend sending these videos uh, DVDs back and forth to me. What does the alligator hunter would say? Sending me these DVDs, trying them on my DVD player, but they won't work because they're not coded in my country code. Why is that not working? <laughs> um, 
some of this stuff, you know, get into something deep. Get your mind off all this this crap we're dealing with right now. These take it seriously, but don't don't sit there and uh, dwell on it. Life is a very important gift, and the time we're given to say the things we need to say and be the kind of people that we are. Isn't about trying to be that big, great, famous, or write like Taylor Swift, or throw it all together, or be like Proust. It's about living meaningfully. Going back to that zen of living in everyday things and finding the poetry in them. The loves of your life, the, the meaning behind it, the for the good times. This is just for the hell of it, I'm gonna sing. This is kind of about Chris. I'm gonna sing that song for the good times and uh the way my dad would. <laughs> Don't look so sad. I know it's over But life goes on And this old world Will keep on turning Let's just be glad We had some time To spend together There's no need to watch the bridges That were burning Lay your head upon my pillow Hold your warm and tender body close to mine Hear the whisper of the raindrops falling soft against the window And make believe you love me one more time For the good time <laughs> Thank you.